Henry, a 64-year-old man, says he prays every night, kneeling by his bed, despite not being religious at all. He says, I worry about it quite a lot. Is it some kind of insurance policy? Is it a superstition? Or is it something more real? When asked if he believed in God, he said, I don't know, but I would describe myself at the skeptical end of agnosticism. I certainly wouldn't classify myself as religious. Henry, who starts by silently reciting the Our Father, as he describes it, he then asks for his loved ones to be kept safe. Sometimes he includes specific people or groups. He says, then I have a fuzzy moment about myself. Not a concrete thought. I usually don't ask for specific things. He said he has no idea if God hears his prayers and said the act of praying did not make him feel any better. He then replied, I wonder why I don't stop doing it. Sometimes I feel it's being a bit hypocritical. There are over 400 occurrences in the word of God about prayers and prayers that are answered. The fact that God answers prayers should be comforting and encouraging to all of us. The Bible reveals at least 25 times that Jesus himself prayed while he was here on earth. What he prayed about and to who he prayed are wonderful examples for us to follow. Scripture also reveals that Paul talked about prayer over 41 times. The word amen means so be it, truly, and let it be. The Bible contains some 377 references to praise and some 375 references to prayer. What is prayer? Is it just a call to God when we are in need or in trouble? Is prayer just a formality when we sit down to eat? Is prayer something that comes naturally? Prayer is that and much more. Billy Graham Ministries defines it this way. Prayer is spiritual communication between man and God. A two-way relationship in which man should not, take, not only talk to God, but also listen to him. Prayer to God is like a child's conversation with his father. It is natural for a child to ask his father for the things he needs. Prayer is a two-way conversation with the creator of the universe. Prayer is exclusively designed by God, completely defined through Christ, and uniquely refined by and through the Holy Spirit. The nature and necessity of a true believer is prayer. Prayer is a humbling act of worship. It's an admission of our dependency with an attitude of submission, and it's one of the privileges of our relationship in Christ. Without prayer, we are cut off from the source of life. No one can read through the Gospels and fail to realize the importance of prayer in the life of Christ himself. He is the purest example of prayer. He exposed to us the complete realm of what prayer is like, when we should pray, how we should pray, and to whom we should pray. When Christ left glory and entered into this earthly realm, he wrapped himself in humanity and died to self-sufficiency and in that became the God-dependent man. If Christ himself became dependent on his Father, how much more should we? 
From Genesis to Revelation, there are hundreds of examples of the power, the process, and the peace of prayer. Under grace, prayer takes on a new status in the name of Christ. In the full revelation of his life, his death, and resurrection. There are three key verses that Christ revealed concerning his prayer. John chapter 14, 15, and 16. And I have those references if you need them for later on. But it's in Christ's name that we pray. We are reminding ourselves of the grounds for our right to enter the presence of a holy, gracious, and merciful God. We would have no right approaching the Father if it were not through the redeeming work of his Son. Also, Jesus himself states that in his name would never be refused. A request made in his name means a request that he authorized according to his will. It'd be like having a check account, checking account that has unlimited funds from which to draw from. No matter how large the withdrawal, the deposits are always larger. We can never give and we can never outgive a holy God. As you know, there are many postures for prayer standing, sitting, kneeling, face down, hands lifted up, privately, corporately. While all these are found within Scripture, they are all preceded by the attitude of our heart. Prayer consists of collaborating with God in His divine purpose according to his sovereign will, in agreement with his holy word. Why pray to God who already knows the future? It's for our benefit. To align our will with his in order to change our attitudes and our perspectives in our lives to be more like his. Although this is not an exhaustive message this morning on prayer, I hope it's practical and encouraging and challenging to each of us and to our prayer lives as followers of Christ. This morning we'll be looking at five simple aspects of prayer. They're there in your outline. We're going to first look at the prayer of praise, then the prayer of confession, the prayer of intercession, the prayer of petition or supplication, and the prayer of thanksgiving. Now, there are many more that you could add to this, but I simplified it just for the purposes of this morning. But before we get started into our text, I just want to take a moment and pray. Lord, we do thank you for your revelation in your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you, Lord, that we can come to it at any time of the day or night to find answers, to find comfort. Because of your great goodness, Lord, and your sovereign hand over all things. We have that communication with you. To those of us who are believers, Lord, that door has been opened and will be open forever. Thank you, Father, and I ask that you bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I get started this morning, I want to establish in what I call the foundational conditions of heard and answered prayer. And I'm going to be looking at three scriptures, and they're there in your outline, John 10, John 14, and James 5. John, said, John 10, 14 says, and this is the first part of your outline, it says, I am the good shepherd, and I know without any doubt 
those who are my own, and my own know me, and have a deep personal relationship with me. I'm reading this from the Amplified Version. So it's Jesus is the good shepherd. Verse 27 through 30, the sheep that are my own hear my voice and listen to me. I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life. They will never ever be any by any means perish. And no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater and mightier than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one in essence and in nature. Then John 14, 6, 7 says, very familiar verses. Jesus said to him, I am the only way to God. I am the only truth and the only life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had really known me, you would also have known my Father. From now on, you know him and have seen him. And then finally, the heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man is able to accomplish much. When put into action and made effective by God, it is dynamic and can have tremendous power. And finally there, in 1 Peter 3, verse 12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous And his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. God establishes the conditions of communication. The sheep must know him. They have to recognize that he is the shepherd. The good shepherd. And when we know the shepherd, he knows who we are. Every sheep that the shepherd has under his watch is known personally and intimately. He knows their character, their habits, their weaknesses, their strengths, and their dependency upon him for survival and safety. He watches out for their well-being and would even lay down his life for them. By expressing that his sheep know his voice is an acknowledgement by the sheep of loving trusting and committing that they have with their shepherd. Jesus makes a contrast between those who know him and those who do not. Those who trust in his salvation and those who do not. In James 5.16, we have a statement made that the prayers of a righteous man avail much. In this statement, we can assume that an unrighteous man's prayers avail nothing. How does one become righteous? In Romans 1, 16 through 17, it says a righteous man lives by faith. But in Romans 3, 10, it states, no man is righteous, no, not one, in and of themselves. And later in the chapter, Paul reveals there is only one that was declared righteous before a holy God. And only a trusting and having a committed faith in Christ would be the only way one could become righteous before a holy God. Therefore, in order for your prayer to be answered, you must be righteous. Therefore, you must be born again. This initial step of faith is the beginning of an eternity of conversations with God. Without this step, any prayers that are prayed are futile. John 9.31 says, We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person 
who does his will. How then can we respond to people in our lives that call upon the shepherd without knowing who he is? Simply put, we need to introduce them to the only one who will be able to hear their voice. It's an opportunity to share the gospel, a beginning point to the importance of a personal relationship with Christ himself and a lifetime of heard and answered prayer. We shouldn't be afraid to share that with those who do not know. This is an opportunity for us to open their hearts, open their eyes. Because only his sheep hear his voice. And only he hears the voice of his sheep. So with that being established as the foundation, we'll look at the first point, the the prayer of praise. Ordinarily, we think of prayer as asking God for something. But our requests will never have the boldness or appropriateness they should unless we spend time first in praising God. Praise is an act of worship. Thanksgiving for a believer is a response to God for all he has done and will do. But praise is the believer's response to God for who he is. Since we are his creation... Praise is the appropriate and proper response to the Creator. To worship anything or anyone else would be idolatry and is. The end of the book of Psalms, there's five succeeding Psalms if you've ever read through there. Psalm 145 to 150 is dedicated to praise. After 144 Psalms, the psalmist wants to remind us at the very end of the importance and the recognition of the God we serve and understanding of his overwhelming sovereignty over all that exists. In Psalm 145, I'm just going to read the first seven verses, but I would encourage you to read it all. It says, I will exalt you, my God, O King, and with gratitude and submissive wonder, I will bless your name forevermore. Every day I will bless you and lovingly praise you. Yes, with awe-inspired reverence, I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised. And his greatness is so vast and so profound as to be unsearchable and incomprehensible to man. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty and remarkable acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works, I will meditate. People will speak of the power of your awesome acts. And with gratitude and submissive wonder, I will tell of your greatness. They will overflow like a fountain when they speak of your great and abundant goodness. And will sing joyful of your righteousness. You see where the focus is? We're praising God for who he is. That's got to be first and foremost when we start in our prayer. We have to recognize who we're praying to, to be able to continue. What is prayer of praise? Praise focuses our attention on the one we are praising. That's the first one. Prayer leads us into an attitude of worship. Or praise, I mean. 
praise causes us to appreciate and acknowledge God's character and attributes. And prayer helps us change, excuse me, praise helps us change to see from, from our perspective to God's perspective. While the world may refuse to acknowledge this day of who Jesus is, and they do, there will be a day that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the application here is a study through the book of Psalms reveals how the psalmist blesses the Lord for his incredible attributes and his mighty works as we just read. Secondly, we have now come into the presence of God. We are sheep. He's the shepherd. He knows everything about us. Now is the time of confession. Not that God doesn't know what our sins are, but for us to acknowledge what they are before him. When we initially come to Christ in repentance and acknowledge him as Lord and trust him as Savior, we are cleansed from all our sin, past, present, and future. From that time forward, we are like an ancient travel traveler walking through the dusty, dirt-filled roads, accumulating all kinds of layers on our feet. If we do not wash them, they become caked and layered and heavy. Walking on dirt with dirt never sensing the true feel of the road. Each sin is a layer of that dirt that hinders our walk. It deadens our sensitivity. The more often we are cleaned, the more sensitive our steps become. That's why we need confession. The effects of an unconfessed unconfessed sin is as dangerous as the buildup of dirt on our feet. The thicker the mud is, the less sensitive our feet become on the road that we walk. Since God made us to have fellowship with him, anything that hinders that relationship has an effect on our communication. Maybe it's between husband and wife. Maybe it's between children. Sons and daughters. Fathers and mothers. And so on. Those are the things we come before the Lord and confess. Also the sins that are unseen. Those that we don't like to mention, but God knows them already. The ones that are in our mind, our heart. God just wants us to acknowledge that we see the same thing he does. And we come before him. Psalm 51, 1 through 6. The psalmist states it this way. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my wickedness and guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my transgressions and I acknowledge them. My sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done that which is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak your sentence and your faultless and your judgment towards me. I was brought forth in a state of wickedness In sin, my mother conceived me, and from my beginning, I too was sinful. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part of my heart, you will make me no wisdom. Familiar verse in 1 John 1, 8 through 10, if we claim that we are without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. However, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us 
of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. What is the prayer of confession? The prayer of confession clears the way for true worship. The prayer of confession clears the way for genuine fellowship. And the prayer of confession clears the way of sincere discipleship. We as believers must lead the way in calling moral offenses what they are, and they are called sin. These are offenses against a holy God, the giver of the moral law. Ignoring them is like accepting them. We must stand firm on the truth of God's word, unwavering, steadfast, and uncompromising. Now we come to the prayer of intercession. This form of prayer is on the behalf of others. Aside from prayers of praise and confession to God himself, there is no nobler nobler type of prayer than to intercede before God on the behalf of others. In the Old Testament, this was a special responsibility for the prophets and priests. However, in the New Testament, this responsibility has been extended to all believers. We are commanded to pray for one another for the leadership at all levels, both within the church and outside the church. Each Sunday morning, the worship team comes together at 8 o'clock and in that circle. If you're not wondering what those chairs are for, that's what they're for. They're for a time of our worship team to come together and pray. We acknowledge God and we praise God for who he is. But then people share what's been going on in their lives during the week. What struggles they've been having. Things that have caused them to be beside themselves, so to speak. And we come along each other and we pray for that need. Not in judgment, but to lock arms together. To realize that maybe next week they'll have to pray for me on something. But that's what we do as believers and and brothers in Christ and sisters. I hope that we have people in our lives that we're not embarrassed to come to, to share those types of things. Because it's needed. Definitely needed. We are to pray for the sick. We are to pray for the lost. We are to pray that God reveals his will in our lives. In Acts 12, verses 3 through 5, it says, When he saw that, he, that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter. He's talking about when Peter was put in prison. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers. That's 16 people to protect one man. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And if you remember, Peter was miraculously released. In 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, it says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions and prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, 
that we may live peacefully in quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. Our first and foremost prayer should be the desire for salvation to those who don't have it. We can pray for other things. Don't get me wrong. But unless hearts change, society won't change, things don't change. They remain the same. We need to understand that intercession is a vital part of our fellowship with one another. It is a way in which we keep connected with each other, in which we share with each other the things that are on our hearts. But not just the things that we go through and the trials that we have, but the victories. How many times have you been able to share with another brother or sister, I got to tell you something. My brother came to know Christ. My mother, my father. Those are fantastic victories that we share with each other. Not only the good, or not only the bad, but the good. Because God gets the glory in those things. The prayer of intercession or petition, we are strengthened by God's power. It provides endurance for the trials that we're going through and others as well. It helps meet those needs. And prayer and intercession bonds believers closer together. Writing down our prayer requests on behalf of others and later uh, record the answers to those prayers sometimes really is encouraging. I know several people who have kept, you know, um, uh, diaries and, and things like that for years and put them down and then at the end you see answered prayer. Pretty amazing to go through and know, to see how God has worked. You know, a lot of times he doesn't work on our timetable, right? <laughs> it's on his timetable what he's teaching us to be patient. And in the society, in the quick world that we live in, it's hard to stand still, isn't it? We want results now. The prayer of petition or supplication. A prayer of petition is asking God by faith for the right thing at the right time with the right motive. When it comes to our petitions, it should never be casual or indifferent Our whole heart and soul needs to be poured out to God in earnest prayer. Prayers of petition are requests to meet our needs, not our wants. When Jesus taught in Matthew 6, 9 through 13, he molded this very need. Give us this day our daily bread. God wants to be involved even in the smallest of our daily needs. And you may ask, Why does God care about even the smallest details? And the answer is that he loves us that much that he delights in demonstrating that love by supplying our every need in accordance with his will and his purpose. Daniel 9, 17 through 19. It says, Now therefore our God, listen, to the prayer of your servant Daniel and his supplication. And for your own sake, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. O oh my God, incline your ear 
and hear. Open your eyes and look at our desolation and the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you because of our own merits or righteousness, but because of your great mercy and compassion. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action. Do not delay for your own sake. O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Ephesians 6, 18 and 20, Paul's request And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. In a very familiar verse, verses in Philippians 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition. With what? Thanksgiving. Present your requests to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The prayer of petition. It reveals our dependency on God for our needs. It acknowledges that God alone provides for all those needs. And it's accompanied by faith and persistence that keep us dependent on the provider. The application in receiving God's provision for all our needs, we must ask in faith, believing He will meet those needs. According to his will. So many times we ask for things not according to God's will, and then we wonder why aren't prayers answered. I find it amusing when people pray about sports or things, you know, in the world. Oh God, I just pray that you would do this and that. And I'm thinking, you have no understanding of who God is. You're asking for things that don't matter. And we need to be conscious of that as believers. And finally, we get to the part of thanksgiving. When someone receives a gift, the most natural response is to express gratitude to the giver. It may be the reason why Jesus expressed possible disappointment when one out of the ten lepers that were healed even bothered to return to thank him for their cleansing. The believer knows where his or her blessings come from. In fact, when something wonderful happens to a brother or sister, our usual response is one of praise towards the Lord. What a tragedy it must be for an unbeliever that can't experience that closeness, that intimacy, and that relationship with God. One of the differences between a believer and those who do not is a believer can always and should only be thankful, even in times of trials. In circumstances. Only through the grace of God are we able to be thankful in all situations. Those are the things that mold us into the character of Christ and bring us in submission to His will. 
Colossians 4, 2 through 6 says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards the outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. 1 Thessalonians five sixteen and 18. Rejoice always and delight in your faith. Be unceasing and persistent in prayer in every situation, no matter the circumstances. Be thankful and continually giving thanks to God. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. There are many, many, many references in Scripture about being thankful. I couldn't put them all together, but I trust that you would have be encouraged to look for those this coming week. What does the prayer of thanksgiving do? It concentrates on all that we have been given from God. It expresses to others what God is doing in our lives. It helps us live God's glory around others. And it is offering the gifts of ourself, our time, and our resources. There is so much to be thankful for in spite of the things you might be going through this morning. It's hard to be thankful for those things. But there's a blessing there if we can. It's so much easier to be thankful for the good things but it can also be equally thankful in the not-so-good things. Our world has corrupted even the most privileged form of communication with the Holy God. It has sometimes become a magic potion to some and a circus act to others. It's a way to manipulate people, play with their emotions for ill-gotten gain. Ministries have been built on the ignorance of those who don't know any better, and others have fallen based on that same reasoning. God is not a puppet in the great heavens whose strings we can yank to conform to our needs and our wants. He is the omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent sovereign creator of this universe. When prayer is sold as a device for eliciting health, wealth, or success, we have sunk to the depths of depravity and will fall under God's judgment, for he is righteous and just. Let us make no mistake of the privilege God has given us. We are his creation from his mind and his image. He is not our creation according to our minds to be conformed to our image. We need to guard our prayers being aware of the enormous privilege we have to approach the infinite God and to receive his gracious provisions, never forgetting who he is. I started with the story of a man named Henry, and I'll end with this to make the point of the futility of his prayer and others like him, who, like the Pharisee in Luke 18, assumed his prayers were being heard because of his exterior display 
of performed righteousness. It's called, Beware of the Man Who Prays Out Loud. Beware of the man who prays out loud for everyone to hear. For he does not understand the true meaning or purpose of prayer. A prayer is made to God alone. His glory must be proclaimed, and not for less than pious men to profit from his name. Beware of the man who quotes the scriptures to excuse his own misdeeds, for many a fool misinterpret the verses that they really think they read. The scripture is the living word written to change your heart. It's not a tool to be used to make foolish men seem smart. Beware of the man who touts his faith and wears it on his sleeve. It is, it's he who uses the good Lord's name to beguile and deceive. For when that man faces judgment, as everyone must do, he'll wish he actually lived said faith instead of just pretending to. Lord, I thank you this morning for your encouragement through the power of your word. Lord, if there be any here who are not part of your call, your shepherd, I pray, Father, that their hearts would be changed, even now. Because, Lord, you hear the prayer of your sheep, and your sheep know your name. And without that acknowledgement, their prayers are in vain. So I thank you, Lord, for this time that we shared this morning, that you would use these words to speak to the hearts of those who hear. And Father, your name would be lifted up in this place. And we would understand who you are and give you the praise that you deserve. Thank you, Lord, that we have a God who is gracious and merciful. And if we just reach out the prayer that you will hear is, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. I need salvation. That's the beginning of the conversations that we will have for eternity. We thank you, Lord, and we ask you to bless. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>